Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. On Wednesday, I received the word that Billy Graham is now in glory. And like you, I received that news uh, with mixed emotions, kind of both with uh, sadness in my heart and, and joy at the same time. I rejoice knowing this great man is now with the Lord, but I grieve the fact that the greatest evangelist that has certainly lived within my lifetime is no longer with us. You know, and I, I didn't know until yesterday that I was going to be preaching this morning. And when I got that word, I, I began thinking about, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, and, and for some reason, my mind was, was thinking a lot about Billy Graham. And I decided that uh, I, I would t take this opportunity to, uh, to preach a sermon and kind of in his memory, so to speak. And I, I, not that I intend to imitate Billy Graham by, by any means, but you know what? Um, he and I have something in common. We kind of have the same message that we've been sharing for a number of years. You know, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to uh, hear Billy Graham preach live on several occasions. The first time was when I was only 16 years old. He preached a crusade in St. Louis in 1973, I, I wonder if some of you might even been there. You were. You know, I don't remember seeing you guys. <laughs> I was in the choir. So if you saw the looked out of the choir, I was there. And I, I vividly remember it. I mean, it was certainly a, 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 a very memorable experience for me. And I've heard him preach on several other occasions uh, since that time. And, of course, I think back to when I was 16 years old. I'd only been saved for a couple of years at that point. And now fast forward 44 years, and now I have a lot of sermons under my belt. I preached thousands of sermons over the years. And, you know, I got to thinking, I, if I had the opportunity to have a face-to-face -face with Dr. Graham and said, you know, if I had to pick one topic uh, to preach on, what do you think it would be? You know, and I, I have a hunch. He might say, well, I, I would preach about Jesus. And so that's what I'm going to do today. It's a very simple message about Jesus. And that's certainly what Paul did whenever he traveled. We were studying about Paul uh, in Sunday school. And, and, and wherever he went, whoever he had a face-to-face -face contact with, he would always try to work it in somehow to say something about Jesus. And that's what I want to do today. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to take it and turn to the book of Philippians. Now, I wonder how many of you like the name your parents gave you. My dad did not like his name. His, his name was Woodrow, and he hated it. In fact, he had his name legally changed at some point along the way. It was originally Woodrow Nelson Allen, and he had it changed to Nelson W. Allen. 
But you know, a name is very important. We hear a person's name and certain thoughts, certain images come to mind. We think about that person. Maybe we see a picture of their, of their face in our, in our minds or, or maybe uh, something about their personality or, or their reputation or things they've accomplished over the years, good or bad. You know, and, and we all, we're all like that. We, we associate names with an individual. What do you think about when you hear the word Shakespeare? Or you hear the name Rembrandt or Adolf Hitler? You know, history has produced a lot of names that are still very well known long after that person is dead and gone. However, there is one name, church, that is set apart from all of the others, and his name is Jesus. Would you say his name with me, please, all together? Oh, you can do better than that. Say it together now. Okay, all right, very good. You know, through the years, some have denied his name. Others have cursed his name. And, and, but I want to remind you that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And he is the name that draws us together each and every Sunday. And though his birth name is Jesus, he's known by actually many names and many descriptions and titles that are recorded in the Word of God. He's called the second Adam. He's called the way, the Savior, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Counselor, Redeemer, and the Great I Am. But this morning, I'm going to simply refer to him as Jesus, which literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And I submit to you today that Jesus is the greatest name, and he is going to be our focus of attention this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can look with me as I read from Philippians 2. Uh, out of the respect for the Word of God, I'm going to invite you to stand again if you're able. Some of you know I can't, but that, and that's okay. But let's read together verse 5, starting right there. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. Now, these words were written by the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, the book of Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and there's a lot of really practical uh, 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 stuff that's in this book. But this particular uh, section is kind of doctrinal in nature, uh, specifically the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And, you know, sermons can be divided into several categories. Uh, some of them are kind of inspirational in nature. Others are motivational. But this uh, particular sermon is going to be a doctrinal sermon. And, and doctrine is simply a, a term that represent, represents our core belief system. This message could also be referred to as an expository sermon uh, for those of you that may be familiar with that terminology. And the, and the reason being is the outline that we're going to look at in just a moment comes directly from the biblical text. And, and based on these six verses, 
What I want to do this morning is to summarize what the Bible has to say simply about Jesus. Many of you are familiar with an old hymn that says, Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Well, today I'm simply going to tell you about the story of Jesus. Now, I realize that we have a lot of seasoned Christians in the crowd, and you may not hear a whole lot of stuff that you've never heard before, but I believe that these basic truths about Jesus needs to constantly be reinforced in the preaching and the teaching of, of every local church. Now, here's what I want to do. I have a, have a little assignment that's going to be a little bit different for you today. I know this may be easier said than done, but work with me, if you will. I, I want you to imagine that you are hearing about Jesus for the very first time. Try to take all the stuff that you've heard from many of you, maybe since you're that tall, and, and, and try, to, try to lay it aside for a moment and, and imagine you're like a person who are in some parts of the world. You know, you could travel to some places of the world today and talk to some people my age who've never, ever heard of Jesus. They have no idea who he is. And you, and, and you could tell them about the resurrection and they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, I want you to imagine that you're hearing this stuff fresh and new for the first time. And, and you know, we hear, hear this so much, we tend to get a little bored. And, and, and we're, we're so familiar, it becomes too familiar. But imagine that you're just taking it all in and you're, you're being exposed to it and you're trying to decide, do I believe this? Is, is this preacher know what he's talking about? If so, maybe, maybe I need to know this Jesus. Well, here's, here's some basic biblical truth about Jesus. The first thing is this. Jesus is God. And uh, you can look at your text, if you will. Uh, verse 6, it says, it's right here. Uh, who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God to be something to be used uh, for his own advantage. By the way, did you ever hear that 60%, 67% actually, of churchgoers, okay? We're talking about people who are exposed to, to spiritual things on a regular basis. 67% believe that Jesus was created by God. Now, we might hear that and, and, and not think that's any big deal. But I want you to know that is absolutely wrong. You see, I don't know where they get that idea, but it's not from the Bible, you see, Jesus always existed, and he is in no way in, uh, inferior to God the Father. In fact, if you caught that word in the text that Paul used, Paul used the word equal to God. The deity of Jesus is confirmed by his life. It is confirmed by everything that he said and everything that he did. In fact, he once made the statement, he he himself and the Father are one. Now, sometimes those statements didn't go over too well. And they, it stirred a lot of controversy, both while Jesus was alive and in the, in the years after his, his death and resurrection. 
But then after these things got tossed around for, for a good long time, finally there was uh, some church fathers that got together and they had a, had a, a, a big business meeting and, and decided to draft a statement of faith called a creed. And they decided to try to put the matter to rest officially and make some formal statements regarding who Jesus is. And church, I want to remind you today that if we take the Bible seriously, we have no choice but to believe that Jesus is God. How about that? Do you guys believe that? All right. A couple of you do. Do you guys believe that? All right, good. All right, next. The Bible teaches that Jesus is human. Jesus is human. Verse 7. It says this. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man, okay, that's what I want you to see here. Now, I realize that it's a mind-boggling concept as we try to put this together, how Jesus can be both God and man at the same time. I don't completely understand it myself. That's kind of the, one of the, the, the mysteries of faith. And, and, you know, one of the things that I hope to do when I get to heaven, besides worship that we talked about a few moments ago, i got a few questions to ask. <laughs> and you probably do too, and I hope I'll have an opportunity. Of course, maybe by the time we get there, it really won't matter. <laughs> but i got a long list. But we all know the story. And we know that Jesus was born of a virgin in a little town called Bethlehem. And yet again, I remind you that this was not the beginning for Jesus. It was merely the point in time where he took on a human body. You know, I, I remember Monica and I went to see a movie a few years ago called The Young Messiah. And it was based on the life of Jesus when he was seven years old. Now, understand that most of it is speculation because the Bible really has very little to say about Jesus' childhood but, uh, but I did appreciate the, the, the movie, the point that they were trying to make uh, to get us to envision the process that might have taken place uh, for Jesus to discover his identity. You see, I, I, I got more questions than answers about some of this stuff, but I, I think it's safe to assume that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that little tiny baby didn't automatically think, oh, I'm the son of God, i got a mission to perform. <laughs> no, he was fully human. It took some time to get to that point before he figured it all out. And I don't know how long, how it came about. I'm assuming that he was on the right track by the time he was 12. But uh, what happened between birth and 12, we don't really know a whole lot about. But I don't think that he instantly comprehended it all. There was a learning curve there, just like it is for any human being. And in some respects, Jesus grew up like a man, just like anybody else. In fact, I don't think there's any evidence in the scripture that suggests that he looked all that different. I mean, if he were in, in a crowd before his, his ministry went public, people wouldn't have picked him out. Just, oh, there's Jesus among 500 other people. You know, he, he kind of blended in with the crowd in the way he looked because he was a man. However, I want to remind you that when Jesus prayed, there's one, there's one thing that kind of set him apart. You see, 
when Jesus never had to confess sin to the Father. Do you ever think about that? Because he never sinned. And that quality in and of itself kind of set him apart from the average person. Now, he was tempted, just like you and I are tempted. In fact, we have evidence in Scripture to know that that was the case. And, uh, you know, and, and you wonder what kind of temptations he, he, he went through when he was little. Was he tempted to punch his brother in the nose? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but he didn't do it, did he? He had temptations of various kinds. He was tempted in every kind of way that you and I are tempted, but he didn't, you know, it's one thing to be tempted, it's another thing to follow through with it and take action and, and convert to sin. And we know that Jesus consistently passed the test. He always resisted. And then as he grew up and he began his public ministry, uh, we know that he poured his life into 12 men. He hung out with them. He, he, he taught them. He, 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 he spent a lot of time with them and, and, and showed them uh, how miracles could be done and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. He mentored them and he prepared them to carry on the mission following his departure. And though the time would come when Jesus would no longer be physically present on the earth, he promised that he would never abandon them. He said that he would empower with them with the Holy Spirit. And as we read the rest of the story in the book of Acts, we know that's exactly how things played out. And throughout his ministry, Jesus taught like no other man before him. And some people were drawn to his teaching while others were all riled up. But certainly Jesus caught everybody's attention. And uh, those that got to know with him and spend some time with him, it seemed that they either loved him or they hated him. Well, next, the Bible tells us that Jesus yielded to the cross. Let me focus on verse 8 here. We read earlier. It said, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, John's gospel records more than 20 times Jesus saying that he was sent by the Father. He, at some point along the way, it came together for him and he realized that he was on a divine mission. And we need to understand that Jesus did not come primarily to do extraordinary miracles. Or, or teach extraordinary uh, with great authority and all that, although he did. But those are secondary. His primary purpose was to die. His sole purpose for his life from the beginning was to set the stage for the cross. And if we read the Gospels, everything is kind of leading up to that. The Bible tells us that Often Jesus would, would get alone and he'd spend time and pray. And he never questioned God's will, God the Father. He just sought it and he did it. He was very focused. He understood his, his, his purpose and he was never distracted from that purpose. Jesus knew where this purpose was taking him. And he, and he humbly embraced it. He graciously accepted the outcome and... The end result was a cruel death on a cross. I think about a song I used to hear on the radio some. It says, what a strange way to save the world. 
And from our point of view, it just kind of seemed that way. But it had to be because, you see, the whole plan of God was, was to, to meet our need. And there had to be what the Bible refers to as a mediator. A mediator is a, is a go-between between God and man. You know, I remember uh, growing up, my dad worked for the power company over in St. Louis, and sometimes they'd go out on strike, and uh, the union wanted more money, and the company didn't want to give it, and, and uh, it was a big rigor more that lasted for months sometimes, and they would, they would have a mediator. Uh, a neutral party would come in and try to bring about reconciliation between the two parties to see if they can, couldn't, could come to an agreement. Well, Jesus serves as a mediator. He's he, because he's uniquely God and man at the same time, is the only one that could ever do that and, and, and brings God and man together in a unique kind of way because, you see, only he could solve our sin problem. He made reconciliation possible. He sacrificed his life, and Jesus became the solution for salvation for everybody who might receive him. Jesus Christ finished the work his father had given him as he breathed that last uh, breath on the cross. If you recall, as Jesus was dying on the cross and gasping for breath, he said a few things that are recorded in Scripture, and one of them is, it is, it is finished. And I think that meant not only his life is finished, but I think his purpose, his whole reason for being was finished as he died on the cross that day. But we know, church, that that is not the end of the story, is it? No, no, it can, the story continues on, and we know that three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and we're going to celebrate that on what we know is Easter Sunday, not far down the road now, and his resurrection was confirmed by many witnesses, and that claim could not be made by any other human being. You know, every other religion on the planet has something in common. Do you know, did you ever think about that? Every religion other than Christianity, their founder is dead. But I remind you, church, that we have a risen Savior. You know, Billy Graham once said, there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever even, ever even lived. The evidence is there. Some people just don't want to pay any attention to it. They just don't want to believe the truth. But when you examine all the evidence, the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ was either a lunatic or he truly was the Son of God. And finally... I want to remind you that Jesus is worthy of praise. Let's look at the, the last part of our text that we read earlier. It says, So that at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven on, on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the things that I've been talking about up to this point are ancient history. They happened long ago, but that begs the question, so what? What about now? Where is Jesus? Well, to continue the story where we left off, the Bible says that 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended back into heaven. And I believe that now, 2,000 years later, he is still in heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is now in his rightful place. And as we sang about uh, in the beginning of the service church, we need to crown him with many crowns. That needs his, uh, praise of Jesus needs to be on our lips, not only when we gather for church, but it needs to be a part of our life. 
lifestyle. We need to praise him at work. We need to praise him at home. We need to praise him as we walk and we jog and we eat. Uh, uh, the praise of Jesus Christ needs to be permeated into our life so it comes out as naturally as breathing. The influence of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And even after all of this time, he is changing people's lives. He is transforming alcoholics. alcoholics. He is delivering the prostitutes. He is setting the captive free. And I would testify today that we have a room full of people here who have been impacted by the name of Jesus Christ. And if that applies to you, would you say amen? Amen. The Bible also teaches us that one day people of faith will see him in all glory. And that will come. And we need to anticipate that day. I think about a chorus that probably many of you know. I don't know that we've sung it since I've been here. But, but it's, uh, it's a simple little chorus that's based on the passage of Scripture in Philippians that we've read just a few moments ago. It says, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why don't we sing it together, church? Sing it as a praise unto Him. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Now, I have a question for you, a very important question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Now, I'm not asking, do you know of him? I think probably everybody in America knows at least who Jesus is, has at least heard his name, and uh, unless they've just moved here from another country or something. But, but do you have a relationship with him? Hey, by the way, I know Donald Trump. Did you know that? Yeah. I've heard him speak a lot of times. You know, if Donald Trump walked in this room right now, I'm confident I'd recognize him. I know right who he is. I know him. And I'd go up and shake his hand, and oh, you remember me, don't you? And he said, no. Because I don't really have a relationship with him. I know of him. But it's impossible for any president to have a relationship with every citizen. That, that's ridiculous. But I believe that is conceivable with Jesus. I think we can all know Jesus in a personal way. Because Jesus has some abilities that no president we've ever had has. <laughs> you see, he can know you. And you can talk to him. And he will recognize you. And he will know everything about you. Donald Trump wouldn't know me from Adam if he walked in this room. But I, my Jesus does. <laughs> he knows me better than I know me. <laughs> he knows my passions. He knows my quirks. And he knows you as well. But you know, a relationship can't just be one-sided. You see, for there to be a true relationship, it has to be mutually agreed on by both parties for it really to go anywhere. And Jesus Christ doesn't ever force his way into our lives. He's given us a free will. He's given us ability to make a choice, and we have to decide. You know, back when I was 14 years old, 
around a campfire at a youth camp is when I decided I knew Jesus at that point before I ever went to camp that year. But I walked, went home from camp that year knowing him in a more personal way than just knowing him intellectually up in my head because I invited him to be a part of my life. And that began a journey and a pilgrimage that I've, I've never looked back on. I've never regretted once. Uh, have you ever done that? Most of you have, but maybe we have some, somebody here that has never made that decision. Uh, and, and, and you need to settle that uh, right here now. You know, I think the basic message of, of Billy Graham is, is uh, pointing the way to Jesus. I think that's really what he was all about. And, you know, I think that uh, talking about Jesus and talking about salvation and, and man's problem of sin and some of those key essentials of the gospel was probably uh, integrated in most every sermon he ever preached in all those years of, of public ministry. And, uh, and it, what, a, what a great sign it was even just watching it on TV. He'd give the public invitation and there'd be hundreds of people would come down and, and uh, want to pray to receive Christ. And uh, I don't expect that to happen here because we don't even have hundreds of people in the room if everybody came, you know. But maybe just one. Maybe there's one individual here where you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you realize that I have spoke the truth today and you need to receive Jesus in your life and you know that there's something missing and uh, the, the message is really Jesus is the only answer. Uh, we can try to come up with uh, uh, solving our problems and having a, a, a life purpose and all of that all on our own, but you know, it doesn't really work very well because you see, G God created us and he created a spiritual void within us that only Jesus Christ can fulfill. And if you need to do that, I invite you to do that. Uh, in just a couple of moments, Pastor Ray is going to be up at the front. He'd be happy to talk with you about your faith or to join this church or whatever spiritual need that you might have. Uh, I also want to remind you that Jesus is our uh, bearer of our burdens and maybe you've come to church today, you're already a believer, you've settled the matter of your personal faith, but you're struggling. And, uh, and, and I think there's something to be said about coming up to the front and praying with someone else and, and just turning your heart over to God for whatever issue is that you're dealing with right now, the invitation. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.